Thank you, Janet Lee. I just guess I'm glued to your style of playing. You just have a way of tilting my heart. I just feel the spirit when your hands glide over those keys. God bless you so much. And ladies and gentlemen, we are here again today. And we are involved here today with the Seven Thunders Before Genesis Part 9. And we're going to get into some interesting things. We we got into some very interesting things last week. And I want to go over those a little bit. I've had some emails from different people asking questions and just wanting me to explain it a little more. And so we'll try to take the time. <clears throat> I'd like to start with the scripture. I've read it to you a few times. But it's in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll begin with verse 8, and the why I want to read this to you is it basically contains instructions as to how that it's God's will for the people of the church to know about the world that was and that has been hid and to know about the principalities and the powers in heavenly places, it's God's will for the church to know that. And let's just read it. Verse 8, chapter 3, Ephesians. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent to the intent verse 10 that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he has proposed or purposed in Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is tied in to the following scripture in verse 17 same chapter, same context, chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the, what is the breadth and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness, with all the fullness of God. We begin to see how that it is the plan of God to know about these principalities. Now, principalities are also described uh, in the abbreviated word prince. There's the Prince of Peace, Jesus. There's Prince Gabriel. And there are, are different princes that are mentioned in the Bible. These are all... Uh, that are in that rank 
connected to principalities. Principalities are like archangels. And God is saying, I want you to know about the long ago. I want you to know from the beginning of the world the things that have been hid. I want you to understand the intent that this revelation of the principalities and the powers in heavenly places need to be known and manifested in the full wisdom of God to the church. I mean, that is powerful stuff. Then if you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, this sort of seals that up in a beautiful way with a preposition for, which is a forensic type of word because it, it is involved in the causation. For, by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now, this is quite a busy verse with a lot of very deep things that really ties into that Ephesian part that talks about comprehending the various dimensional aspects of truth. And we are to know things that are created, that are in heaven, and that are on earth. God wants to not, us not to just know things about the earthly creation, which when you say earthly creation, creation uh, it incorporates as being a part of the, of the cosmos, a part of the universe. So it includes the, the, the universe. And that are in heaven, and the, this being the space that is involved in, in all of that uh, aspect. And it is involving the visible and the invisible. And we know that the ultimate God is described as the invisible God. And we also know that the Bible says that things that are not seen, they were invisible, things that are not seen were made, or things that are seen, beg your pardon, things that are seen, visible things that are seen were made of invisible things, so made of things not seen. So that is very, very important. Now as we get this list here, whether they be thrones. Now, we're not talking about thrones like of kings and queens on earth. But it's talking in the category. And the category puts thrones next to dominions, next to principalities, next to powers, and all such things that are part of the creation. Now these thrones, for instance, can be represented like the seven spirits of God. The seven spirits of God uh, represent plural spirits that are the overcoming spirits of seven universes. 
And of those um, seven spirits of God, there are representatives. And these are like the archangels. And they, they come together, they have meetings, and they're involved in basically running the universe. And we talked last week about Lucifer, who has become named Satan and the dragon and the devil and the serpent, a whole bunch of names. And what a, you know unusual individual that he was, and how powerful that he really is. We're going to go over that some more. But we can see that by the Bible that Lucifer is involved still in some of these hierarchy meetings of the archangels because he has not been through the judgment yet. So people that seem to think that he's kicked out of all of those uh, understandings and, and, uh, and selections just don't know their Bible because that is not the case. He, he is still involved in these high meetings and, uh, and it's very important to understand that because, uh, you know, he can still, uh, as he describes himself, he can still, uh, and as or as Paul describes him, he can still appear as an angel of light. Now, we know that in the book of Job, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence... Comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth and and evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without a cause. And we see here that Satan is involved in this meeting, this very important meeting among the sons of God, these throne people, this meeting of the thrones. He's involved and he is being asked his opinion. And that's not just some frivolous make fun of someone type of questioning. It's a recognition of the credentials of Satan as Lucifer. We also know that in another place in the Bible, very interestingly, in the book of Zechariah, chapter 3, it says in verse 1, And he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said this unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? 
Now, these people in this high archie meeting didn't agree with Satan, Lucifer Satan, using his authority to criticize this particular person by the name of Joshua. And they were saying, this, this is a brand that's been plucked out of the fire. You know, there, there has been something happened in the way of grace for this person. And, and, and uh, we don't agree with you on your rendering your rebuke against him. But we see that Lucifer Satan has been involved among the throne angels, those who are archangels and co-archangels. And that's Bible, ladies and gentlemen. That's just plain, absolute Bible. And we see from the scriptures that I read to you that God wants us to know, as it said in Colossians, as it said in Ephesians, wants us to know about these things that have basically been in eclipse. And the, the sun of the light, S-U-N of the light of day, has been blotted out on many of these, what is described in Ephesians as as things hidden from the foundations of the world, from the beginning of time. And God wants the church to know this. It's, it says it. It says it right in the Word, and I read it to you. So when I get into things about the son of Gabriel being Lucifer, and I get into some of these things, it's all, it's all, meant, it's all meant to be understood by the Bible. And it's very, very important that you do understand these things because they are relevant, you know, to your salvation. I'm not saying essential to your salvation, but relevant to it. And that is very, very important. Now, we need to understand some things that the first domain is a pure spirit energy realm. And uh, it, it really cannot be called a place. Because it has no um, no no points of foundation in the sense of some place being set up that stays in that form and position as a constant, and therefore. It is totally not anything like the universe. It is a flow of energy. And this flow of energy can take on different forms. Just like in the 16th chapter of the book of Mark, when the Bible is describing the resurrected Jesus Christ. It is you know, very, very uh, beautifully interesting how that through all these different uh, books of the Bible, and scriptures of the Bible that we are able to put together the truth. And and God made it to be that way. So in the 16th chapter of of, of uh, uh, Mark, the 16th, the 12th verse, Mark 16, 12, it says that after that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. So we see that this thing of form is not something that is in a constant when it comes to 
the the those entities that are in the high hierarchical uh, aspect of God. Those in the hierarchy, they are above that limited place in the flesh. Now, we know that in the teachings that in chapter 12 of Revelations, after the, the war between Michael, the archangel, and his angels, and Lucifer and his angels, which were the, the legions of co-owned uh, cherubim that were co-owned and made one in his spirit, occupying the same space and the same mind. And then, in addition to that, he had some help from um, Ophanims that had, um, you know, uh, decided to stand by him through this whole ordeal. And we know that after the war was lost by Lucifer, that he and the angels were forced then to come down to earth. They were, they were forced to come to earth. And by reading in the 12th chapter, it becomes very clear that the next thing that happens is there's a, a transitional conversion of, of the realm of the heaven form to entering into to bodies that are later called humans. But there is something very, very important about this that I want to share with you because it will come up in, in, the, in the times that are ahead. And, you know, some of these things, of course, have been put into the Arturian book, The Father's House. But as I get into these things and teach on some of them, I realize I'm just going to have to pull out some of this information and share it with you for you to have the continuity of understanding that you need to have. Now, the angels did not want to take on the bodies of these humans. But if we go back in time, we see that when the angels left the first domain and they went out into the subduction zone, uh, subduction zones of the universe, that they took on bodies, and that the Bible says that these were the gods, the Elohim, the gods, and they made a decision together. These seraphim, cherubim, that they would make man to be like them, would have physical bodies like they had. That didn't mean that they were going to be clones. That didn't mean that they were going to have the same lattice, the same DNA. But that meant that there was going to be a similarity. Now, if the angels, when they come to this universe are used to taking on physical bodies in order to be able to communicate and do a work among the entities and the creations of this world, then why would it be so different 
going from the physical bodies they had to physical bodies which the gods, the Elohim in Genesis said, you know, they, they were going to be made like unto us. Well, I want to explain that to you because that is so important to know if that ever comes up. Now, the difference is this. In those bodies that they have when they come into the, the universe, from the first domain to the universe, those bodies are specially made so that there is a there is a an an auxiliary membrane and this auxiliary membrane enables them to be able to remember many many parts of who they were as angels as archangels and to remember how to conduct super human feats and power. This special auxiliary membrane that they have. The human body does not have that membrane available. And so when people go into the human bodies, they enter into what is called the land of forgetfulness because they cannot remember these other things that the other angels in those other bodies can remember because of that auxiliary membrane. Now, there is something very, very interesting and I'm going to share it with you today. And I have shared some of this in special uh, meetings. But it's, it's, it's really important. And that is, there is in the human mortal brain a provision for this auxiliary membrane that these other angels have to possibly be advanced right now it's just in a in in a suspended state within the brain of humans and there's nothing that a surgeon can do or nothing that a scientist can do to turn that on it 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 has a soundtron lattice signal in it that has to be turned on from effects upon the soundtron but in the human brain, there are these pyramidal pathways, which is a collection of motor nerves and fibers that arise in the brain and are involved in, in passing down through the spinal cord to the motor cells in the anterior horn. Another way of saying it is this pyramidal pointed cone-shaped structure is involved on the ventral side of the medulla. 
And the medulla is no small, unimportant potential of the human brain. So as, as being involved on the ventral side of the medulla, which is composed of the largest motor tracts that run from the cerebral cortex to the spinal cord in triangular-like structures in the renal medulla and are composed of straight segments of renal tubules. I don't expect you to understand all of that anatomy about the brain. But what I'm telling you is that there is membrane that is underlying in its connections to the tissue of these described pyramidal tissues and fibers that are in the medulla area of the brain. But they don't, they function and they do some very important things, but they don't bring back these memories of anteriority. But it's not impossible that someday that the soundtron signal can be put into that area of the medulla and those memories to a great part can come back. But the angels knowing by advanced and being instructed that they would not have physical bodies capable of remembering the prior things of the higher spirit energy world just dread it to lose that knowledge. Just dread it because that was one of the gigantic, incredibly major big breakthroughs that the angels had when they had to go into physical bodies of being able to retain their angel hierarchy and their memories. That is not supported in the human mortal body except by a very superseded experience of Soundtron signal, which then inverts the lattice and causes that underlying membrane to become activated. And then in that activated activation, it becomes attached to all these tubules and all this uh, various uh, fiber that is all connected to the motor nerve fibers and is in, in connected to through the medulla to the largest motor tracts that run from the cerebral cortex to the spinal cord as a triangular structure very pyramidal in shape so a person needs to understand this in order to understand that there is not a contradiction here. And this is why the beauty of the Gentile revelation. Because the Gentile revelation, of course, was how I was first able to understand this aspect of the underlying membrane 
and this pyramidal aspect. And so the pyramid's not an accident either. These pyramids in Egypt, these pyramids in South America and other places in the world, they're not accidents either. That's not just a walk in the park. They are of a very advanced meaning. And there's more than is connected to them than just the vectors through the tunnel channels that point to stars. Because incorporated in the stars is the meaning of the morning stars, which are the angels who were in, in bodies that had that capability of that supersedent memory and, and supersedent capability of power and ability to actuate that power in more than miraculous ways. So that alone is an absolutely important revelation. But even with all that advanced physical body that the angels have, which has power over gravity, which has power over materialization and dematerialization, and the capability of changing forms, like the angel that appeared to the father of Samson, Manoah, and to his mother especially, and then revealed the ministry that Samson was to have and was able to change himself into a dematerialized form and go up in the fire of the sacrifice offering. He had a physical body. He was eating with them physically. But he was able then in this supersedent to step into this very high order and ascend in a dematerialized form. And yet, as great as all that story is about an advance in the universe of fleshly bodies, we understand the purity of it when we understand the Word of God. First chapter of the book of, of St. John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's very, very important to break down the difference between the Word was with God and the Word was God. And it's very important to understand the next sentence that comes. And the, and, and the Word was made flesh. The Word was God, but the Word had a purpose. The Word had a destiny. The Word had a a journey. The Word had a mission. And so the, the Word was with God and the Word was God. But the God Word, the Word God, had a mission, which was also a Word of God. And so those things are so beautiful and so important to understand because we know that in the first domain, there are not fleshly bodies. 
Because the Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But in the fifth chapter, the, the fifteenth chapter of Corinthians, we know that the Bible talks about the different kinds of bodies, terrestrial bodies, celestial bodies, and even differentiations between the kind of bodies that that are physical bodies. But nevertheless, those are all universal bodies. They are not kingdom of of, of the first domain bodies because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven and they neither marry nor are given in marriage in heaven now in this world they are materialized in a visible way and bodies can see bodies but in the first domain it is the domain of the invisible God and so the spirit is invisible to flesh and blood, but it's not invisible of spirit to spirit. So when Jesus went down, as it describes in the book of Peter, and preached to the people who were sometimes disobedient during the flood of Noah's time, he was there in his spirit, and they were there as prisoners of their spirits and they could see him they could hear him he could see them he could hear them because it was spirit to spirit and they were all invisible as far as in the connection to the physical kind of flesh and blood life but the spirit to spirit world is actually more real it's actually more real than the, the flesh-to-flesh life. Because we know that the Bible says that the, the body without the spirit is dead. The body without the spirit is dead. But there is no place in the Bible that says the spirit without the body is dead. Because that would not be true. The spirit is alive whether with the body or without the body. But the body is not alive, cannot live without the Spirit. And so that is why when we talk about the Father's house and when Jesus said, this is how you should pray, my, my Father which art in heaven. And when we're talking about that heaven, we are talking about a physical heaven. And when we're using the word Father, we are talking about a physical expression, a physical body. Because in the first domain, they neither marry nor are given in marriages, and neither are there any births that take place in heaven. All births that start new spirits take place in the womb matrix, which is the universe. Because nothing can be changed from the perfect order of, of the pluperfectness of the first domain and the ultimate perfection of God in the first domain by his spirit. And so the, there are no fathers, there are no sons, there are no daughters in the first domain. And we are all one 
in the Spirit. And that's what's the prayer of Jesus. I pray that we may all be one as the Father and I are one. That oneness that we achieve on earth here, which is a a a type, a pattern in the physical of the spiritual. And as I've explained, that when we talk about heaven, in the in Genesis chapter one it says, and in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And when you talk about going to heaven, you aren't talking about going to that heaven. And yet, that heaven was created by God, just like the earth was created by God. And it's a part of the earth, for in the first chapter of Genesis, it describes that the heaven was called the firmament. And the firmament divided the waters in the sea and on earth from the waters of moisture up above in the in the various atmospheres. And so that the atmospheres which were called the firmament, which were called heaven, were all a part of the earth system. They're all a part of the earth. And the earth itself, which became the title of the planet, the earth really meant, as it describes it in the first chapter of Genesis, dry land. That's what was called Earth. And so the planet then was called Earth, representing the dry land, because the dry land would be where the animal, most of the animals, not all the animals, but most of the animals would be created from, and humans from the dust of the Earth. So it became a very proper name for the planet to be called Earth. Now, when we talk about the Father's house, the Father's house is a planet. And some people, you know, they, have, they, they say, I, I just have a problem with that being a physical planet. Well, that's just because you don't really understand the total plan of God. The total plan of God is going to go on for millions and millions of years. This, this son of our son that we have, it's going to last for billions of years. Billions. And the universe is going to go, it's going to, it's going to, uh, it's going to do something that people don't understand even in the scientific world. How that it expands and then by a signal from the soundtrons it will contract. So it convolutes and it involutes. And the 51st chapter of Isaiah, as I've preached many times, says that the people from the foundations of this earth are going to plant the heavens. Heavens, plural. That's talking about the cosmos. So when Jesus spoke in Mark 16, he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. It's the Greek word, world is from the Greek word cosmos. So he's telling people back then, that you're going to go into the you're going to go into the universe with this gospel. You're going to bring it to other new creations. But you know the people of the days that Christ was on earth, and even at this present time, they're so used to thinking that go ye into all the world, because there are scriptures that show it to be the planet Earth, uh, 
and all of the people of earth. But that's just one aspect of it. There is, because the planet, planet earth is a part, it is a part of the universe. It is a part of the cosmos. And so we have, the, we have both scriptures that mention the earth as being a part of the cosmos and mention, go you into the cosmos, go you into the universe. It's the plan of God. We're on star time, not earth time. The Bible teaches us that in the book of Genesis, that the stars, it says, are for signs and seasons and times. We're on star time. And star time is millions and millions of years. And the people that are getting caught up in, you know, uh, the world's going to end, it's the end of the world, it's the end of the world, it's the end of the world. You know, they don't understand. They don't understand the plan. They don't understand the Word of God. Jesus said, you're going to have all these kind of things happen. 24th chapter of Matthew. You're going to have wars. You're going to have rumors of wars. You're going to have earthquakes. You're going to have floods. You're going to have all kinds of things. But he said, it's not the end. It's just the beginning. I'm preaching these things over and over to you because I want you to really understand them. I want you to see how scriptural, scripturally proof that they are and how that these things I am teaching you are really the Word of God. They are the Word of God. Blessed be the name of God. Now, last week we talked about Gabriel and we know that Gabriel was involved. He was the Lord walking in the garden. He was the, the angel that revealed himself to Daniel to give Daniel the proper mathematical equations for the meaning of seventy. He was the archangel angel that appeared to Mary and revealed to her the virgin birth that she was to present with Jesus the Christ. Gabriel has appeared unto different people. Gabriel appeared unto me and gave me the Holy Manifest. Now when we talk about Gabriel being the father of, of Lucifer, we've made it very clear that this would not be relevant to the first domain because in the first domain they don't they have fathers, they don't have births, husbands and wives. The Bible says in the you know, in the first domain they neither marry nor are given in marriage. It's Bible. But there's these seven different universes. And we're in the eighth universe right now. And in the second universe, the second universe is when Gabriel lived, but he was not 
the archangel. He hadn't overcome. And his name was Gabriel. And he had a physical body. And he didn't have a body that had uh, the extra membrane because he had never been to the first domain. He had never been an archangel yet. He was an overcoming human-like, mortal-like individual. And I'm not, when I say human-like, I'm not trying to say that his body was just like a human body. I'm only characterizing it as an entity that had the potential to become an angel, a messenger of God to overcome the physical realm. And during that time, he had a wife on the planet. And he had a son. And the name of the son was Lufer. And the Bible talks in the 28th chapter of Ezekiel about in the day that King Tyrus was created, which you find out that Tyrus is just a symbolic name of the of the covering cherub, which cherub is the singular for cherubim, plural, which is a group of angels. So we know that Tyrus wasn't something else, and we know by the description, which we're going to get into again here later, that that this was something of a high elevated uh, situation. But it does say there, in the day that thou was created, which also interprets to mean made, which by being interpreted to mean made can also be interpreted to be, to be said to be born. And so it does reveal there the birth of Lucifer going back to when he was Lufer. And this is the text of the style that is done in the book of Ezekiel. Like in the 16th chapter, when it takes Jer uh, Jerusalem all the way back to Adam. It is the style of that book, and it's an incredible revelation book. And so, people need not get confused and say, well, Gabriel gave birth to Lucifer. No, no, not really at all. Absolutely not the case. Gabriel, who was a physical human being, was the father of Lufer. Gabriel eventually, after eons of time, overcame in that, that universe and became Gabriel an archangel. And Lufer overcame and became Lucifer. Now, when we take things back in the track of time, then we can connect it in the track of time and say, well, way, way back, before, before the genesis, so to speak, of, of Gabriel, there was Gabriel, who was the entity that overcame and became the Archangel Gabriel. And at that time, when he was a human, in the second universe, 
of the Bimbims, the Luma Universe, he had that opportunity to be married and to have a son called Lufer. And Lufer also overcame and he became a great co-archangel to his father that was a father in the the, the Bim-Bim world, a physical world, a physical universe, the second universe. Blessed be the name of God. I'm wanting you to get this. I'm wanting, to, wanting you to understand it. So you won't get mixed up with the bodies and when they're physical and when they're spirit. Because it can be very confusing if you're trying to teach this to other people. They'll just think you're off in the deep somewhere and don't know what you're talking about. But if you explain it according to the scripture, and it's all there, very easy to be understood that way, then it's quite captivating. Now, we know that the Bible tells us in Isaiah, and we're going to return to some of these scriptures, that Lucifer is going to eventually take a physical body. And we are going to say and show that uh, Lucifer, Lucifer Satan, is going to have and has had A wife. And we're going to reveal that tonight before we get back into this thing of Gabriel and Lucifer uh, in their connection and in some of these other scriptures that we want to dig into. Now, I introduced to you um, in the last uh, meeting that we were in about the Witness of, of the Stars book by E.W. Bullinger, Doctor of Divinity. And in that book, um, he also introduces very, very interestingly the... Um, the, the 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 dragon and um that is absolutely important because um the dragon called draco this gospel is written in the stars and this great draco dragon with his very long tail gives the appearance that that it is just wrapping its tail almost around or encircling the little little bear which is called the little dipper Ursia Minor. And as you remember that is where I said that the father's house is in that area 
of Ursa Minor, which is also called the Little Dipper. It's in that realm. And so then we have this dragon, which is the dragon in the Bible, of a book of, of Revelations, is also called the serpent. And it says that this dragon's tail drew one-third of the stars of heaven. Now, that doesn't mean he drew one-third of the, of the Ophidim. But it means that there was three groups of angels that came to this galaxy. The seraphim, the cherubim, and the Ophidims. The seraphim were under the archangel Michael. The, the cherubims were under the archangel Gabriel. And, of course, Lucifer as a co-archangel. And the Ophanims were under the archangel Yahweh, of whom the Bible says in Thessalonians that when he comes again, he himself will come with the voice of the shout of an archangel. And that's just one of the verses. There's many other verses that substantiate the archangel thing. Now, there's some people say, oh, I just don't believe that Jesus is an angel, ever was an angel. You just don't believe the Bible. That's what your problem is. And you don't believe it because you ignorantly don't know it. But any well-read Bible person, any scholar, will tell you when you go back into the Old Testament and you read about the angels that there was, there was mention of specific angels that appeared. And they would, beyond a question of a doubt, had the power to forgive sins, to redeem, and obviously was talking about the Savior Christ appearing in an angel embodiment form. And the word angel is just a Greek transliteration that means messenger. And I don't think that anybody even by the words that are given in Isaiah about this gospel, you know, being taken upon the hills and the mountains, anybody could challenge the fact that, that Jesus Christ is a messenger. But it's just that people have a misunderstanding and a mental block when you use the word angel. And it's because they have been taught that angels are inferior And that has come from church people and church ministries that don't know what they are talking about and absolutely do not understand the Scripture. You can't take one Scripture and pull it out. It has to be a contextuality of all the Scripture, and they have to all go together. If they don't go together, you have a conflict, and that is not acceptable. So when the truth is known, all the scriptures go together. They coincide. When the truth is not known, you have scriptures that conflict with scriptures. Then you get all these different translations where these translators are trying to help the Bible out. And they're trying to help the Bible out because 
they don't understand some of these things that the Bible is saying, so they think it must be scribe errors. When what the real error is, is that these people do not know the Word of God. And so, as we begin to get into this revelation of the Drago, this is where Lucifer took of the one-third of the angels, the, the Ophanims, where he led the, a great part of the most of the Ophanims to move. And it says in the book of Jude, the angels left their first estate. Their first estate was in the Father's house, Artura. Not the star Arturus in the constellation of Buotis, but the Artura, the planet of the Father's house in the Ursia Minor, Little Dipper area. And that, believe me, is not some small territory. But you can see if you ever get any star photographic work done, that the tail of the dragon just almost encircles the little dipper. And so when the Bible says in the 12th chapter of, of Revelations that the dragon's tail drew and cast one-third of the stars down to earth, there is so much meaning to that in many different relevant ways that it's just exciting because it just fulfills the, the, the Bible truth and Bible reality. Now, in this book, The Witness of the Stars, you know, the Draco, the dragon, the old serpent, the devil, which cast down from heaven, and the serpent part of the devil and Satan and all that represented in Revelations 12, verse 9. Dragon is also called the destroyer. So, we have these different breakdowns. You know, the, the, we have the, the dragon, which is called the first book of Revelation. The second book of Revelation is, uh, is Cetus, the sea monster, the, Levi the Leviathan. And the third book is Hydra, the old serpent. And so we also have then Lucifer appearing in other forms. He's not just appearing as Lucifer, the angel of light, but he's appearing as the dragon. He's appearing as the Leviathan. He's appearing as the serpent appearing in other forms. Paul tells us that many of these things that we see are, are patterns of the heavens and that to really understand their message, we have to perfect the interpretation. <clears throat> As we perfect the interpretations, we begin to get a real understanding by these picture portraits that are symbolic 
of physical, universal, earthly things being representative, metaphorically, of spiritual things. <clears throat> In Isaiah... It says of, of him, the Spirit causes Isaiah to say, In that day shall the song be sung, sung in the land of Judah. In that day the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish, shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall set, slay the dragon that is in the sea. Wow. Isaiah 26, 1. And Isaiah 27, 1. This is a foreshadowing that is depicted in the stars of Drago. In the Septuagint, there are some things that make it a little easier to understand on certain points. So, the Drago constellation had in it a star called Thurban. In Hebrew, it means subtle. And 4,620 years ago, it was, a, it was the polar star for Earth. Polaris is now the polar star. The polar star has passed from the Drago to the constellation of the Little Dipper, which is the Little Bear, which is the constellation that the Father's house is in. Wow. So these are not minor revelations. They're, 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 they're important. They're very important. Okay. Now we're going to talk about this sort of like wife of Satan type of thing. And, and I had someone ask me last week, well, I think I know who the wife of Satan, who the wife of Satan is going to be. And I said, who do you think? Says well, I think the the Queen of Babylon, and I said no, that's a good guess, but that's not correct. But you are close. We're going to look at a word that's in the Bible, that's used in the Bible, but it is not part of ancient mythology. There's a lot of words in the Bible, even like words like L E L found in Strong's Concordance of the Hebrew Dictionary, number 430. But in this revelation, there is this word called Rahab. And this is a very, very interesting teaching I'm going to do here right now on Rahab, because it is a female name, and it describes a, a dragon, 
a Leviathan monster. And there is interestingly a story that's worth reading. And we'll start with that story first to establish the name as being a female for one thing. This, the, the name does have in it Egyptian term. You take the first two letters, R-A, you have the name of Re or Ra, the sun god of, of the Egyptians. If you turn to the book of Joshua, and we'll look at Joshua uh, chapter 218. Now this is when Joshua had taken over from Moses. Moses had passed on. And um, and he wanted to send um, a group of people into this area to check out the area to get a report. And um, so he sent these um, these special chosen men, and um, he said, "Go and view the land, even Jericho." And they went, and they came into a harlot's house. And this is chapter two, verse one of Joshua. And her name was Rahab. And they lodged there in the harlot's house. Well, that made a lot of sense, really. I mean, as holy and all that they were supposed to be, it was a good covering because all kinds of, of men would come, even strangers, from out of town and would go into a harlot's house for their desire. Well, this harlot... Rahab lived up on top of the wall so she could see a lot of things that were going on. And she, of course, was well advertised by being up there. And so the name Rahab is a female name. And um, after the three men had been there for a while, it became clear to the king and some of his associates that these men were there to search out the city. So they contacted Rahab and they said, hey, we need to know where those men were that came, came in the night because we believe they're from Israel and they've come to search out the country and we need to capture them and destroy them. And we saw that they entered into your house. And so the woman had made an, an agreement with these two men because even though she was a, a harlot, she represented something more than just being a harlot. She had a name, a very unusual name, not a common name. And she represented something. She was a pattern representing something. And when it comes to survival, that's something that Satan and his evil principalities are very good at. And she says, Let's make, I want to make a deal. If we 
if we if I hide you and get you out of here with your lives, that when you come back with the army that you're involved with, that you will spare me and my family alive. So they made a deal. So when the king of Jericho said, what's going on? So what's happened? She says, well, you know, those men did come into the house, my house, and and uh, but you know they left at night, and he's and 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 I'm sure you could catch them if you if you send some armed forces out there. They can't be too far away. Well, as soon as they were out looking for those men, she let these um, these men of Israel that were this, that were searching for information. She let them down so that they they could escape and um she allowed them to um to escape and here's within what the men said to her in the 17th verse and the men said unto her we will be blameless of thine oath which thou hast made us swear if you don't follow our instructions in other words and here's what we want you to do behold when we come into the land Thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst didst uh, uh, let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever goes out of the doors of the house, of the house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head. We will be guiltless. But whosoever shall be with you in the house, his blood shall be upon our head, if any hand be upon him. And if you utter this business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou madest swear. But what is really, really important and interesting is this, this thread, this rope of scarlet that they were allowed to escape by with their lives and go back and give the information to Israel that would allow Israel to easily de- defeat this this people. Because one of the things, and I don't know how many people would ever be aware of this, but it, it is it's just absolutely interesting. And you're going to see an incredible revelation as I get into this. But the dragon... Symbology represents human DNA. Dragon symbology represents human DNA. And we know that when Satan was involved as Lucifer, as the covering cherub angel, that he was changing many of the prescriptive transmissions given by those that were out there spiriting creation and sending it back uh, with certain altered messages built inside. And no doubt in all the creations of everything that was going on, Lucifer was planting this DNA changes 
in animals, those which be eventually became the dinosaurs, and ultimately in place where it could go into humans. And the person that was put in charge of this scarlet thread was, I'm going to call it the wife of Lucifer, Satan. The wife. Now there's a time issue here. I don't have the time to get into the time issue. Because people that are into human readership, they like everything to fall within increments of time sequences that are allowed within the terms of the lifespan that they live. It'd be very hard for them to understand something occurring and considered to have continuity, even if it was three or four hundred years later, because with entities that could live on and on and on for thousands of years, those would still be in subsequence and in continuity of happening. But when humans look at it, they want it to happen within the context of their lifespans, and it just doesn't work like that, because ladies and gentlemen, as it tells us in chapter 1 of, of Genesis, we are under star time. We are under star time. So when the Bible says, you know, uh, everything that happens under the sun, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun, it's all that comparative about the rel uh, relative aspect of time being what happens under the sun because the sun is a star. And that is all under the idea of, of the star uh, uh, message and, and revelation of star time. So now, then, we've got this Rahab. And we're not saying that this particular woman that lived at that particular time was that particular entity. We're not saying that at all, nor even proposing that. But we're showing that throughout time, there were the representations of the meanings of these things about the scarlet thread. And for instance, we know that, um, that in the Bible, there is a, a story that is given. Genesis 38. An interesting story there. The two children born to the to the to Judas to Judah. And um, and very interestingly, uh, there were twins that were born. And um, there is an example that is given of this thing about the scarlet of the scarlet thread. And um, and it goes like this in Genesis thirty-eight twenty-seven. And it came to pass in the time of her travail that behold twins were in her womb. And it came to pass that she travailed, and that one put out his hand, and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, "This one came out first. And it came to pass, as he drew back his hand, that, behold, his brother came out. And she said, How has this broken forth, this breach be upon thee, 
Therefore, his name was called Ferez. Afterward came out the brother that had the scarlet thread, and his name was called Zerah. So we see that the scarlet thread has been used to identify the blessing of the firstborn. The first to come out had the blessing of the firstborn. And there was a distinct difference, just like with Jacob and Esau. They were twins. And one had the blessing, one didn't have the blessing. And that whole story is quite interesting. We begin to see that in the DNA, that is, which the Draco is symbolic of, of the human race, that there is within the human aspect of propagation and, and the putting forth of offspring a sort of tree of good and evil. Instead of good and evil knowledge, good and evil offspring. That some people just have a lattice that promotes them into thinking more about God and believing godly things and desiring godly things. Other people in their DNA just are not twined into that. That doesn't mean that those people are lost or hopeless. But some of those people are the ones that have to learn to twill, as it tells it in the story of Emily Flowers in the Manifest. You can learn to twill, and when you learn to twill, you can change your lattice and get it over into that scarlet thread so that your DNA becomes changed through the process of latolution. And it's a beautiful story. <clears throat> a beautiful offering and a beautiful opportunity. Now, when we looked at this in a little more um, deep light, um, we know that Daniel, when he did the miracle of revealing these secrets that the king could not discover from any of his staff and from any of the magicians that he was dressed in scarlet. And if you turn to Revelation 17, here is a very, very interesting revelation. Revelation 17. In Revelation 17, it tells about this this woman that sits, the great whore that sits upon the many waters. And you remember, we had the whore, which was Rahab, the harlot. And she's committed fornication with the inhabitants of the earth and the kings of the earth. And in verse 3 it says, He carried me away into the spirit in the wilderness, and I saw a woman set upon a scarlet-colored beast. Now, John is describing being carried away by the Spirit into the wilderness to see something here that, in, without question, had indelible meaning. It had distinctive, important revelation. 
And what did he see? He saw a woman sitting upon a scarlet-colored beast. And the scarlet-colored beast was full of the names of blaspheming, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones. And upon her forehead, verse 5, a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. But the interesting thing was is that this scarlet colored beast was really this representing this wife of Satan. And she was a scarlet-colored scarlet beast. And when you get over into the 16th verse of the same chapter, 17th chapter of Revelation, 16th verse, and this scarlet-colored scarlet beast had ten horns upon it. And it says, And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and make her desolate and naked, shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. The harlot Rahab, represented by that name Rahab, in the, is the scarlet-colored beast. And the scarlet-colored beast is the one that was chosen by Satan and married by Satan, Lucifer Satan, to be the mother harlot that would infect the DNA in the human race. And she saw this other whore, this Babylonian whore, as being competitive to her job, trying to take away her job. And so she hated that Babylonian whore. And this is a real paradox because here are two different groups that seem to be equally evil. The, 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 the harlot, the Babylonian queen harlot, and this, this beast, scarlet-colored beast. And they both are representing evil, but one of them is angry and hates the other one because the one is protective of her job. And she's taken on the form of this beast. Now what is very, very interesting about this is to the extent of these, these heads, these different heads, and um, how that, that we are shown here when you read it in the Bible that this beast that that comes up out of the of the sea, which it's got the same number of heads and horns. And in the thirteenth chapter it talks about this beast coming up out of the sea. And in the third verse it says that I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was, was healed, and all the beast, all the world wondered after the beast. Now, let me read to you from Isaiah 51.9. Isaiah 51.9. Awake, awake, 
Put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Art thou not it that has cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Art thou not it which has dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, and made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? So here we see where, where God in Christ has been at war with this Rahab and has, has wounded this dragon. And now we have the revelation of that wound described in this 13th chapter and third verse of Revelations. And I saw one of the heads and it, as, as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed. And it's interesting that the meaning of the word Rahab does include the word pride. So that we see that that this head that was wounded is this wound of pride, which I've preached for many, many a year. And that this head really represents Rahab, which is also called a dragon. Let's look at uh, Psalms 89.10. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. The heavens are thine, the earth is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. And we see this Rahab, it's not, it's not some small thing. This, this is a female name and she has been wounded. And this is, she's under the guise of this dragon. She's a part of the dragon because the Bible says two people married become one. So she's both, in that sense, part of the dragon and Rahab at the same time, the head, the one head that has been wounded and was wounded way, way back in time, but now has been healed and is a part of this beast the scarlet-colored beast that hates this whore who has also dressed herself in scarlet because she's wanting that job to be the, the mother, the harlot, the mother harlot of, of like, over all the people. It's, it's a job that's equal to, to, what, to what Eve was called. Eve was called the mother of all living. But this is Satan's choice of a Eve kind of wife who is the mother of all living by being involved in the DNA and sort of, in a sense, through this lascivious thing of, of, of Lucifer using Rahab, this dragon, Leviathan wife, to be this mothering over the DNA and to destroy the capability of 
the firstborn people of the firstborn right to be given the blessing of the of the scarlet thread and to move that blessing of the scarlet thread over to the people of Satan, which is all about the description in Ephesians 6.12 that says that the war that we are in is not flesh and blood, but it's about principalities. That's what it's about. So now we begin to see all these things in this incredible, captivating, and beautiful revelation. Now we can add that revelation that we gave you last week in Ezekiel. And we just probably need to just touch bear on that again before I go into the book. I'm sort of running out of time already. Let's not underestimate how powerful that Lucifer Satan is. He took Jesus up to the pinnacle. And Jesus went with him. Obviously, he was in Azam. And he showed the whole world. And he said, if you cast yourself down, you cast yourself down. I will I'll give you the whole world. You can be you can be the chief here. What well, did Lucifer have it to give? Well he apparently did. He was a prince of the power of the air. And when we read in the the book of Revelations, we see that there is a scripture that says, and now the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of God. Which means that before this happened over in the latter part of Revelation, that the kingdoms were not the kingdoms of God, they were the kingdoms of Satan. That that had not all been settled and brought over. And we know that in the, the book of Revelation, that it tells us something extremely very unusual. It tells us that Lucifer is given the key to the to the to the bottomless pit. Chapter nine of Revelations and the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fall from heaven into the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And then that describes this whole thing. Verse 11, they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, and in the Greek tongue is Apollyon. And it doesn't take much checking to find out who that represents as far as Lucifer is concerned. Now, in Ezekiel 28, we begin to understand how powerful that Lucifer really is because we begin to understand that it says here under this guise of King of Tyrus, which means rock, and there's Deuteron Deuteronomy tells us about the two different rocks. 
There's the rock that is the good rock, the rock of ages. There's the rock that is the evil rock that people follow. And the 12th verse of the 20th chapter says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. When you seal up the sum, that means that you are the totality of wisdom and you are the totality of beauty. That means among the angels, he was the totality of wisdom. Now, some person might say, well, I, I, that's hard to believe. Why would he be chosen to have that gift? Well, tell me about this. We've got people that are scientists, you know, like Einstein. I'm not putting him in any uh, demeaning category. But, I mean, he wasn't chosen from one of the big churches or uh, as a divine prophet, and yet he had this incredible knowledge. Isaac Newton, we can go on, we can name... Tesla, all these different ones. They had this superior knowledge. It's just a thing that happened. Lucifer had this superior knowledge. He had the sum, the totality of, of wisdom and the totality of beauty. I mean, he was someone to follow. He was someone to believe in because he had courage. He was the angel that covereth the cherubim assigned over the ophanims. And he felt because of this totality of wisdom, totality of beauty, that he should be over all of the other star angels, over all of the other groups of angels, because the sum totality that he had was at the very height both in wisdom and in beauty. He's no small case. But he was defeated by Michael and the, and, and the seraphim angels. So he wasn't as great as he thought he was. But he hasn't given up. And in the 13th verse, it talks about all the precious stones, and those stones represent the various kinds of angels that co owned with him. And they all being part of the legend of Lucifer in the sense that they became one in occupying the same space and one in occupying the same uh, use of mind. And it says, And thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. And this all has to do with the latticing. And so created means made. Made means, can easily mean born. And so we see where Lu Lucifer is born. We see that he was an archangel because only archangels are co-owned. And he was an archangel. He was co-owned with all these legions, <clears throat> legions of other angels. And we see how then that 
when the angels come from the first domain into the subductive zones of the earth and the universe, um, they are then called earthly or universal terms, like father. Father is a term, and they become the Lord of hosts, and the Lord of hosts becomes the father. And the father is the father of all of the Ophanims, the father, like Gabriel's, the, the father of all of the cherubim, and he's the father, and, and, and uh, uh, Michael is the father, Lord of hosts, of all of the, the seraphim. Now that doesn't mean that going back in time, that there was not another father, fathership, like Gabriel being the father of Lufer, which when they eventually overcame, you could go back into the vector of time and see that connection and that they still had. But in the angelship of Revelation, all the angels love each other evenly. And there is no uh, one sort over another sort because just as Jesus taught, that in Christ there's neither, and this was also, of course, by Paul, neither male nor female, neither bond nor free, neither Jew nor Greek. All those things dissolve in the love of God. Now, turn with me to the book of Daniel. Chapter 7. In the book of Revelations, it talks about a white throne judgment. And this is when all of the, the angels that are part of the seven spirits of God leadership, the archangels, they're going to have what's called the white throne judgment. And it is not until the white throne judgment that Lucifer is going to be judged. And until he is judged... Uh, even though there can be remarks made of his condemnation and not agreed with, until he is judged by that council, he still maintains his priority of, of hierarchy. Now in Daniel 7, it describes an incredible thing. Verse 10. Now verse 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. And a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, and thousands, thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousands stood before him, and the judgment was set, and the books were open. Now, it's very interesting that the scripture says in verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down. And this is something that had to happen. The thrones of these 
of this seven angels of the of the throne ministry angels had to be cast down to earth in order to keep in alignment with Lucifer having been cast down to earth. So that by being in alignment with that casting down, they could be they could judge him on an even score basis. And there's a lot that could be said about that, but I don't have the time. I just have to keep going here so I can cover everything I want to cover. And we see that this is the time of this white throne judgment. And when we look in verse 13 of chapter 7 of Daniel, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like a son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. We can see that the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man are two different entities. And they, being these other hierarchy angels, brought him to the Ancient of Days. And there was given him the Son of, of Man, who came in the clouds of heaven, a kingdom and all people, nations, and languages should serve his dominion because he had a dominion and that dominion was the Ophanims. And so they, through the process of this casting down the stones, making the judgment about Lucifer, putting him out of his, his situation. So like in the 20th chapter of Revelations, it says the keys were taken away from him. He no longer would have the keys. And then this whole thing is, is finally settled. And it's incredible. It's just incredible. And of course, there's many more scriptures, but I've got to spend just a little bit of time in the book here. We have a little time yet. So if you remember, we left off in page 159 of the book of the seven thunders before Genesis. And there had just been an announcement of an invasive thing called the Blip Force Spoilers. And a courier brought an ur urgent message, page 59, down the middle, large print, an invasion by this, this highly powerful source. And the numbers, the nobles re re were explaining it. Then they, they called all of the, uh, the nobles together. They had a special meeting uh, place uh, where, where, where uh, they, all, all, all the different people could, um, could be involved in, in uh, giving reports and giving uh, you know, uh, their view of things. And um, they, they had uh, you know, all of these um, very up-to-date, very positive uh, things. In uh, page 160, down where it says entry, uh, the very old noble duke buttoned into the track view next to the podium, locuting into the spectron, rays pouring forth from his mouth. I see a retroflexion of a pour of negative energy. Scientists seated in the auditorium were writing and pondering every word. Mathematicians were translating every word and phrase into calculations. There is this conversion that can take place. There are words that can be translated into math. There's math that can be translated into words. 
And it goes on. They've been invaded. And they give, they give, you know, an example of, of the damage that's been done. Now, we're going to skip over a little bit to get into some of these um, uh, different kinds of um, scientists. Uh, let's look at Kima on page 163, down at the bottom in dark print. Just then, Kima bust into the track viewer. It is known the accumulation of inaudible sounds can reach sound waves, break through to decibels that are of audible levels. Perhaps an accumulation effect has occurred with this described force in some other energy field that has allowed it to jump to another state which has engendered it in a more powerful existence. Subsequently, it would not be uh, impersipient to think that during a matter-antimatter annihilation event in space, a scrambling effect of matter residue could be incurred that would set up resonances of a subtrait, which could, from the, anna, uh, the annihilation energy expended effect, emerge to life forms, and that such a force has become the spoilers of our peace. It was from Kima's discussion prior to the auditorium address that the name for the invading forces was tagged, the spoilers. By such discussion, many viewpoints were open. The auditorium was vivid of ideas and summations. Nobles and dukes and scientists, mathematicians, were turned on to their fullest attention. Solutions were ready to be made. The bim-bims would not surrender to the intruding force. Jams, a mathematician and theorist, made an input into the track viewer screen. This is page 164, Jams in the Dark Bold. Based on the biodata sent by Oris, I have abstracted a series of sight blips in the form of curves so slightly imprinted they are less in a measurement than a wave width of a frit particle. I accomplished this by gradually back-sizing cellular mass, first graphic graphically to small units, then to units too small to be analyzed, even on the same atomic spreader. Subsequently, using an abstract energy separation and cancellation technique, I achieved vanishment. Consequently, by mathematical conjecture using the rhythmic state of a flux constant, I was able to predict how to tag a wave graph for each biosubject sample. Furthermore, just prior to vanishment by using computation screening, I was able to retrieve from the computer an imprint epicycle of interception so faint, even full magnification barely traced it. The analyst is so strange, I will call this effect magnetic loops at the edge of antimatter. There is here at least an indication of sporadic fields that reach points equal to zero. If this mass's configuration is just a creation of my consistent trunications, or if there is an imposed uh, some contra uh, variegation of this mass spectra due to other reasons, I cannot yet say. As we know, our universe is permeated with symmetries whose coordinate transformations are keys to many variables. In one of my experiences, I use computer morphic wave transferring techniques to propagate a first trial for indicating wave transferring techniques whereby, whereby to transfer a second trial. In this second trial, I sought to indicate what kind of vibration could be expected, if any, 
as being generated from these blips. I found no parallel or perpendicular signs exceptional to the biomass. <clears throat> now, I don't have time today to explain some of this highly scientific conjecture. But it is known, even in the scientific world, that vibrations can have an effect of effects upon atomic atomic uh, whether sub or super uh, fractals of, of of mass, and it can actually change them as far as their spins. It can also change them as far as even whether they are positive or negative in their charges. And so this mathematician was uh, trying to experiment by uh, taking these uh, picturegrams back, going backward in time, sort of like what scientists of today are doing when they're taking the Big Bang backwards in time. When you go about nine, nine billion light years, you get to the point in the universe where the the mass of the Big Bang has just expanded out to a point where it's ready to start making uh, atoms and stars and galaxies. That's nine billion light years back in time. And so Kima's concept was something along that line. Now that's all I have time to read, but we're going to go into more of this. We're going to we're going to continue this teaching because it is really relevant and there's a whole lot more to teach and a whole lot more to say that is very, very important. And as I read to you in that scripture, it's God's plan for the church. God wants the church to know about these principalities and these powers. God wants the church to know. He wants you to know. You're going to have to work at it and you're going to have to not be bumped or jilted by every voice out there that says, oh my, this must be a cult. Oh my, what is this? These people just need to take the time like you've taken the time to listen to these teachings and to read the blogs. You that have not gotten on the blogs like this, www.themanifestor.com and read these Tesla blogs on the fifth, fifth force. You're missing out. So God loves you, folks. He really cares. And he's moving your mind to a higher realm. The Bible tells us in Zephaniah, there's going to be a new language. We're learning new language in these words and descriptions. Words that are not even in the dictionary because it's a whole new manifested language. As these words begin to live in you, it's like an aura growth within your innermost being. I want to pray for you people out there that are not well. May God reach out to you tonight. There is such power here right now. Such amtristic energy 
Reach out to them, Lord Jesus, Savior. Reach out to them that are suffering, that are in pain, that are in agony, that are fighting depressions and obsessions, that are fighting difficulties with their health and in their body. Reach out to them tonight, God. Heal them. Make them whole. We love you. God bless you. Amen.